Luke, we're gonna be in chapter 12, 13 through 21. We're gonna look at our next parable. Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. All right, let me start us off this way. How many of you have ever been in class with that person? That person, the one that raises their hand to ask a question in class, but they're really not asking a question in class. They're raising their hand so that everybody can hear them talk in class and they can tell you what they think about in class. And you're sitting there in class wanting to listen to the brilliant faculty member that's at the front of the classroom. And that person just keeps raising their hand to ask a question or make a statement. And then the question turns into this really long statement and the faculty member's sitting up there at the front trying to be nice. And you realize that everybody's frustrated with that person. Anybody ever had that person in class? Don't be that person. All right, just don't be that person. Today in the text, guess what we get to encounter? That person. Jesus is speaking. If there's ever somebody you don't wanna interrupt when they're speaking, it's Jesus, because he like knows everything, right? And so Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about eternal matters. He's talking about God. He's talking about anxiousness and how you should trust in the Lord, and you don't have to worry about all these things. God's in control. God's sovereign. God has it all, and up goes the hand. Now, what does the guy ask about? Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus is talking about eternity and things that matter for all eternity and somebody sitting in the audience can't listen and can't concentrate and can't think because all they're focused on is my brother got the inheritance and he's not giving it to me the way I want him to give it to me. Maybe he wanted to go spend it. Maybe he wanted to do something else with it. And so this guy interrupts Jesus speaking about eternal significant matters and says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to go do something for me. So how does Jesus respond? Well, that's our text. So let's read our text and then we will uh, talk about the main idea and the outline of the text. But if you're able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse 13. The Holy Spirit's gracious because he doesn't identify the name of the person who did this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, being Jesus, said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We'll come back to the rest of the text in a minute. Dear Lord, I do pray for Donna today. I pray that you would help her to heal. Lord, I thank you for those who worked so hard to clear the snow for us. I pray that you would, Lord, just bless them. Lord, I pray for our text today that you would help me to be faithful to it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think clearly about things that are complicated. 
And Lord, that you would help us to catch a vision for how we should focus more on our souls and being rich towards you than the things of this world. May you be glorified. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. All right, let's walk through the setup to our sermon and then we'll go through two points. We'll have some application, have a few cross-references for you today. So the main idea is gonna come out of this first part. Jesus' response to him in verse 16. That main idea is right there in the text where it says, guard against all covetousness. We'll come back to that. The word covetousness is not a word that we use frequently. And so if it's more memorable for you, just say guard against greed. It's a similar word. It's something that we all know. Greed, you know, it has a negative connotation to it. We all know that we should guard against greed. It doesn't make it any easier to guard against it, but that's the main idea of our text. So what's the definition of the word covetousness? It's eager or excessive desire, especially for wealth or possessions. So that fits greed. But you understand we're talking about material possessions. We're either talking about money or we're talking about land or we're talking about something of that nature, materialism in some sense. Our text breaks down our outline into two points. First, what we see is the principle. So there's the question that's asked. There's Jesus' response. I'm not gonna judge. I'm not gonna be your arbitrator. But here's the principle that Jesus wants to get across to this person, which is the heart matter of this person's response or quest, request to Jesus. And the principle is don't covet possessions. That's, that's also our main idea, is don't covet possessions. It's right there. Don't be greedy. And then the second section is the parable of the rich fool, which is the story. It's that parable, remember, tossed alongside. So Jesus is taking a story. He's tossing it alongside the principle to help the principle take hold in our hearts. We all like a story. Let's hear the story. This illustration then is gonna teach us something that we need to take hold of. And this particular parable is gonna teach us about wisdom in living. So if you wanna live wisely, if you wanna live as a mature follower of Christ, then this parable is gonna help you do that. It's about the rich fool. So we look at point number one, the principle. Don't covet possessions. It's verses 13 through 15. Someone not named in the crowd calls Jesus teacher. Well, that's, he's calling him a name that exalts him. He's more than just a teacher. He is the Lord, but he calls him a teacher. In that day and time, it's not uncommon to ask teachers or rulers to make decisions, uh, but nobody tells us that the brother has agreed to Jesus making this decision. And if you look at the way the text is stated, the person's really not asking for Jesus to make a fair judgment in this particular case. The way this is stated is, teacher, the judgment has already been decided by me and I know I'm right, so tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's an inheritance, and we all have seen families fight over inheritances before. And this time, perhaps the older brother kept it and it was gonna be for the family, and the younger brother wanted to leave off and go do his own thing, and the brother wouldn't give it to him. Perhaps he wasn't sharing appropriately. We don't know the details of it. It doesn't really matter because what Jesus is after here, as he tells us this story, is about the heart condition of coveting worldly possessions, and we're gonna see how this plays out. Jesus responds to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, don't take this too far. 
This is a story with a purpose. That purpose is confined. We know that Jesus is the ultimate judge of the world. We know that Jesus has the ability, the infinite wisdom to be the ultimate arbitrator in any situation. But here in this particular scenario, he's gonna get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is not the, the judgment. The heart of the matter is that there's a person here who can't listen to, to eternally significant matters that Jesus is teaching because he's so concerned about the temporary worthless possessions of this world. Can you relate to that? Something in my world that's temporary and that's fleeting is so important in my mind right now that I can't focus on my quiet time as I read eternally significant words before me. Something that is temporary and fleeting in my life is so captivating my thoughts that I can't focus as I listen to someone expound upon the word of God and preach that. I can't focus on my relationship with God because I'm worried about all these things around me in this world. We all experience it. If you say you don't, then I'll remind you of that come time for finals, right? You're gonna study, They're gonna, you're gonna pass, you're smart, you're gonna do well, you've studied all semester, you've, you've done everything you're supposed to do, and yet when the time comes, how many of you have stress and anxiety and don't sleep enough and study way too hard and you get nothing out of your quiet time the entire week, and some of you don't even have a quiet time the entire week, shame on you, but no, no Bible, no breakfast, but here it is. And so he says to him, these two are imperatives. So Jesus responding, he's giving us two imperatives, take care and then be on guard. So if you're to be on guard, that means to take actions to ward off a foe. So this is gonna happen in your life. At some point in time in your life and in my life and perhaps more frequently than we ever wanna realize or recognize or admit, greed, covetousness, possessions, money, worrying about wealth is gonna creep into our life. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, take care, be on guard, put up shields, recognize the temptation that's gonna come for you to be way too focused on worldly possessions and make sure that you have good guardrails in place so that greed and covetousness doesn't characterize your life. Be on guard. We must realize that one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. You can have everything, it won't make you happy. You can have all that the world appears to offer and still be absolutely miserable. Here's what he says in the text to him. Your life doesn't consist in possessions. You're young, you have your whole life ahead of you. Many of you are getting degrees that are gonna result in, wide, in, in large paying jobs, you're gonna make good salaries. The temptation that you need to resist is to focus so much on the material possessions that you are looking at the worldly aspect of life and you're not looking at the eternal aspects of life and they're not, you're not being rich towards God. So he moves to point number two here. Let's look at point number two. It's the parable of the rich fool. So he told him a parable saying, now I've highlighted on the screen for you all the eyes and the mys. But the story as it's told in these particular verses is not that bad. It, it, it makes sense to us. And so he told him a parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what am I gonna do? Now think about this logically. 
if you were a farmer and your, your farmer, your farmland started producing more stuff and the Lord had blessed you in that way and you didn't have anywhere to put it, what are you gonna do? Well, now, here's my only problem with the story the way it's told. This is where my mind works. And so I mentioned this to my wife this weekend. He says, I'm gonna tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I'm sitting here thinking, why don't you just add another one to it? I mean, we drive through there and there are silos all over the place, three or four. Why don't you just add another silo or add another barn? You go by these houses where the house is like tiny compared to the barns that are stacked all around the house for all of the farm equipment. And I'm just sitting here thinking, add another one. Don't tear down. Your return on your investment's not gonna be good if you tear that down. Just stick another one up beside it. That's not the point of the story, all right? And so if your mind works like mine, just forget that and think about what's happening here in the story. This is the land of a rich man. So let's notice the details. It's the land that produced this. It's not the rich man. But where does the rich man give all the credit for everything that happens? He doesn't say, God has blessed me bountifully, so I'm going to give back to God. He doesn't say, God has blessed me so that maybe I could give to others. He doesn't run the numbers to find out if tearing down the barns and building bigger barns is gonna be good, so maybe I'm better off just to give this away. Was this a one-year anomaly or is this something I need to plan for going into the future? Instead, he says, the land of a rich man. He's already rich. So take note, this person's already described as a rich man at the beginning of the story. His land produced plentifully. And then he thought to himself, so this is his heart. This is the same heart that's in the person who asked the question, all of the eyes to me and the my, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So they're his crops. And he said, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna tear down my barns and build larger ones. So there I will store my grain and my goods. And then look at what he does. He gets even more presumptuous. So first of all, he's acting like an owner and not a steward. He doesn't recognize that every good gift comes from God above. He's acting as if it's all based on his work and all that he's done, not the land that God has apparently blessed so that it would produce even more. And he says to his soul, my soul, soul, you got plenty of stuff now. So what are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna give it away? Are you gonna help the poor? Are you gonna invest it for kingdom advancement purposes? He says, no, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna relax, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna drink, and I'm gonna be merry. Sounds an awful lot like hedonism. It's all about me. I'm gonna relax, I'm not gonna work, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna drink, and then I'm gonna be merry. Notice in this particular story that the Lord blessed him and that sometimes when the Lord blesses us with something, that very blessing can become a temptation for us to no longer return and give thanks to God for the thing that he has blessed us with, but to take credit for it ourselves. Some of you may wonder, Lord, why haven't you blessed me with millions and millions of dollars? It may be because you can't handle it and you would trust in the millions of dollars rather than trusting in the Lord. So here he says, I, my, doesn't say he prayed, doesn't say he thought about others, doesn't say he thought about sharing. He just says, I'm gonna tear down my barns and I'm gonna build bigger ones. I've got ample goods for many years. You remember James? Life is like a vapor, life is fleeting, life is a mist. And so don't say I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that, but say if the Lord wills, recognize that life is something that's fleeting. We recognize that even more after hearing the news about Donna that something can happen at any particular moment that could change our lives. And here we understand and see that this person is making plans for many years. 
He's taking that and he's saying, I can count on it. I've got money in the bank. I've got everything I need. So now to me, this sounds an awful lot like retirement. So I'm just gonna say to you right here that as I've read, as I've studied the scripture, you may go from one job that, that you work really hard to a lesser position where you don't have to work as many hours, but I don't see retirement listed anywhere in scripture. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says that we can take time and then stop working and stop doing and stop going. You may switch from one full-time position to a volunteer position or to some other positions, but I don't think we stop serving the Lord until the Lord calls us home. The Lord has given us a life. He's given us the ability to be a steward of every day that he's giving us. And so in our lives, I think every day we work for the Lord. And how you continue to work for the Lord may be different than how you've done it while you were providing for a family or while you were doing other things. But I don't see any opportunity in the scriptures for us to say, I'm just gonna sit back and I'm gonna do nothing and I'm gonna relax and I'm gonna eat and I'm gonna be merry and I'm not gonna be working for the advancement of kingdom purposes. Your life should be viewed as a stewardship, as an opportunity for every day you to advance the kingdom of God and to continue doing that until the Lord calls you home. And until the Lord calls you home, He's not done with your place and your purpose in advancing the kingdom of God. Your influence on others, your ability to love others well, your ability to minister and serve where perhaps others couldn't because you have more time. I think our whole American philosophy of retirement is an unbiblical, unchristian philosophy that we need to make sure we carefully weave this through. Now, I'm not saying you have to work in the same job until you die. But I am saying to you, if your idea is I'm gonna make all this money so I can sit back and do absolutely nothing, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. All right, but we recognize. From a business perspective, this sounds reasonable. The Lord bless me, I've got more stuff, I have nowhere to put it, I'm gonna tear down my barns, I'm gonna build bigger barns. But here's where the story takes a twist. Because you could be listening to this, listening to Jesus in this time, and you could be saying, yeah, that's what you do. When, when, you, when you have more stuff, you... Build more places to store your stuff. But look at what it says here in verse 20. In verse 20, it turns and it says, but God said to him, now Jesus is telling a story here, but even in Jesus' telling of the story, he knows what God has said. And so he's demonstrating that divine authority. And God says to him, and note this word, because this doesn't occur very often in scripture where God refers to somebody as a fool. But God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, now okay, time out. Pragmatic perspective here. We'll, we'll go back to the text. We'll look at this. We'll walk through it. Pragmatic perspective here. What Jesus is saying to him is, in this story, this rich fool, you're gonna build bigger barns. You haven't given any attention to your soul or to being rich towards God or to giving to others or advancing the kingdom. All you have done is used all of your wealth on earthly temporary possessions and he's saying to him, fool, because now your soul is required and all of those possessions are taken away because you can't bring them with you and somebody else is gonna work with those possessions. And so what he is saying to him is this is a poor investment. If you're gonna invest all of your stuff in temporary worldly possessions and you're not gonna invest anything in kingdom work, you're not gonna lay up treasures in heaven, then you are making a really bad investment because you are spending all of your time, your energy, all of this stewardship on investing on things that won't last, things that will be destroyed. And the point here is don't invest in these things that won't last, invest and be rich towards God. Invest in the kingdom, invest in things that are gonna last for all eternity. 
So he says to him, fool. Now this doesn't happen very frequently in scripture that God calls somebody a fool. You will remember that he says, the fool says there is no God. This man may not have said there is no God, but by the way he's living, he's living as if there is no God. Practically speaking, he's not using the things he's been given to advance the kingdom of God, so he's living his life as if there is no God. So I ask the question, are you living your life as if there is no God? These things that you've prepared, whose will they be? You go off, graduate from Cedarville, get a great job, work really hard, build all these things, amass all these things, and then you die. Barring the Lord coming back and rapturing us all home, you will die. Sorry to break the bad news to you, but you're gonna die. And you're one day closer than you were yesterday. So, happy Monday. <laughs> Who gets your stuff? You don't get it. You don't get to take it with you. Somebody else gets your stuff. Maybe somebody wise. If you have children that you're leaving it to, that you have trained and that are serving the Lord really well, maybe somebody wise is gonna get your stuff. Maybe somebody not so wise is gonna get your stuff. Maybe you've worked in building a business or an enterprise and they hire somebody else that absolutely destroys all the hard work you've done and you get to watch them destroy it perhaps before you die because you retired and you're sitting back playing golf and then you're absolutely miserable because you're watching all that hard work go right down the drain. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19 comes to mind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. Here's what happens at the end of this. The fool in verse 20 turns into the one in verse 21. The one who is foolish lays up treasure for himself. There's a contrast here of himself and God. The one who is wise is gonna be rich towards God. If you wanna be foolish in this world, lay up treasures for yourself and not be rich towards God. If you wanna be wise in this world, lay up treasures that are rich towards God and eternal purposes and not rich towards the temporary things or yourself. So here's your wisdom principle. Lay up treasures in heaven for God and be rich towards him and don't covet and don't be greedy and use it for temporary treasures of this world. This is what the text is telling us. His sin was not the possession of wealth. So here's, here's, the, here's the needle I have to try to thread to you. Wealth is not evil. The way he accumulated his wealth was not evil. The Lord blessed the land, the land produced he had crops. There's nothing wrong with that. There are some in Christian circles or in evangelical circles that would say to you, wealth is wrong and wealth is evil. The Bible doesn't say to us wealth is wrong or evil. Abraham was very wealthy. He used it for God's purposes. The Bible tells us that the love of money is evil. The Bible shows us that Achan, when he coveted things that he shouldn't have, cost Israel a victory and then his own family, his own life. The Bible tells us that Samuel, heart, his heart was turned because of all of the possessions and the women and everything that he had. The Bible tells us that Gideon, his his heart was shifted at the end after he had done some great things for the Lord because he started focusing on power and riches and things of that nature. Ananias and Sapphira were not condemned because they had sold the land and gave some of it, but not all of it. They were condemned because they lied to the Holy Spirit because they were seeking something that they didn't deserve. In the Bible, what we see 
is that wealth, resources, money, all of those things, they're not evil and wicked in themselves. They're morally neutral and can be used for evil things or for good things. So don't listen to people who say you gotta give away everything you possibly can and go live with homeless people on the street and that's how you're gonna do ministry. The Bible doesn't mandate that you do that. Even when they did it in the book of Acts, they did it voluntarily because that's what they wanted to do. The Bible doesn't mandate you live your life that way. Yet here's the other side. If you amass such wealth and all you do is trust in the wealth that you've amassed and you're not trusting in the God that gave it to you, then you have drifted over to trusting in the things of this world, the temporary treasures of this world, and you trust in idols at that point who have come between you and God and the wealth at that point is sinful for you because it's where your trust is and your trust is not placed in God. And so keep your trust placed in God whether you have nothing or whether you have a lot. Your security is from the Lord whether you have nothing or whether you have a lot. That's the principle that we need to teach here. I can't help but be reminded of Psalm 49. So I'm gonna read it to you. I've got it on the screen so you can pay attention as I watch through there and read along with me. Psalm 49 says this. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditations of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. And he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. The graves are their homes forever, their dwelling place to all generations. They called, though they called their lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, and when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generations of his father who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perishes. This morning, my quiet time, the way I do it is I read a New Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, something from Psalms, something from Proverbs. This morning, it's planned out. It's on a grid in Logos Bible software, if you know what that is. And so I wake up every morning and it's just sitting there. I, I read, I click, I read, I click, I read. It tells me what to do. This morning, my New Testament reading, Hebrews 13, five and six. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. 
what can man do to me? Well, that's a good word for us. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. If you can learn to be content with what the Lord gives you and trust the Lord that he's giving you what you need but not more than you need and not less than you need, oh, you can live a joyful life. The person who always wants more is miserable. And the person who has so much more has so much more worries to be a good steward of everything God has given them. I read more in Hebrews, but that's the point to this. And then as I went through in Proverbs, part of the reading was Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. We are commanded in scripture. There is wisdom for us to be wise like the ants. There is wisdom for us to save up so that we will have money in case an emergency happens. There is wisdom for us to save up for what may happen if we're not able to work into the future. There's wisdom in saving. Where the sin lies is when we begin to trust in the savings rather than to trust in the Lord who has blessed us with the savings. The wealth is not evil. The trust in the wealth is evil. The possessions, God has given us good possessions to enjoy. He's given us good food, like cookies and cream milkshakes at Chick-fil-A. He's given us good games, like Halo. I like it. He's given us good activities that we can enjoy, like sledding down the hill behind the HSC. He's given us good possessions. There's nothing wrong with those. We should praise God for them. We should enjoy them. But when those possessions become our God, that's idolatry and that's sinfulness. So here's my application thoughts for you in closing. Money is a great tool, but a terrible master. Money can be a great tool to be used to help others, to advance the kingdom, to support missionaries, to help in many ways a society that needs it. But if possessing more money becomes your idol and your master, oh, it's a terrible master. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. When will you be satisfied? Never. Greed is a beast that cannot be fed. Remember the pronouns, I and my? They were in red when we read the text. So I ask you two questions on that. Number one, who do you give credit for for your successes? Is it my ability? Is it my work? Is it the things that I've done? Is it God who has given me the ability? Is it God who has blessed the efforts? Do we return praise to God for successes or do we take them for ourselves? You see, there's nothing that we've done that God hasn't given us. So instead of accepting the praise for ourselves, which is robbing glory from God, we should be just mirrors that every time the Lord allows something great to happen in our lives, that all we are doing is reflecting that glory and that praise and those compliments up to God, who is the one who deserves all the glory and praise all the way. So I say to you, are you taking the credit? Or are you giving it to God who deserves it? Number three, what did the rich fool put his faith in? And then what are you putting your faith in? You say, well, it's certainly not my money. I'm a poor college student. I get it. But is it in your intellect? 
Is it in the degree that you want because you know what that degree is going to provide over the course of your lifetime? Is it in that person that you're gonna marry because they've got all those things and you're gonna enjoy those things with them? Where's your trust? Is your trust in the God who provides and give good, gives good gifts or is your trust in the things of this world? Number four, be rich towards God. I would encourage you, while you have very little, to develop a heart of generosity. If you're not generous now, you're never gonna be generous when you have more. And sometimes it's really difficult to be generous the more you have. Because the more you have, to have that same level of generosity seems like so much more. I can't give that away. Look at how many zeros are after that. But if you develop that heart of generosity where you can give it away now, it doesn't matter how much it is, you're just giving it away. You just love to give things away that would help further God's kingdom purposes that would help others. You're not in a place right now to where you should be giving tons of stuff away, at least most of you are not. At this point in your life, you might be in a place where you need to receive that graciously and give glory to God for providing when other people decide that they wanna to give to you and help you. But there will come a time in your life where many of you will be in a place where you should give generously to advance the purposes of God's kingdom. I encourage you to think about those things. Now this last point kind of goes along with this being rich towards God. It's not in our text for today, so it's a thought from me. So if it's a bad thought, dismiss it. If it's a good thought, you can keep it. But I would say to you, one of the things I think is important is for us not to expand our lifestyle all the way up to our income level so that we have nothing that we can give to others. So as your lifestyle begins to expand, you graduate and you get a salary. Do I need to live off of all of that salary first? Let me say this to you. One of my big concerns is that you leave here with debt sometimes and that debt riddles you from being able to do all that the Lord wants to do. I wish I had a magic wand that I could wave and it would fix all of that so you can join me in praying for a billionaire to give a gazillion dollars so they could be free for everybody and we could have scholarships. That hasn't happened yet, but you can pray that the Lord would do it, right? That would be great. But when you graduate from here, perhaps you're gonna get married and both of you are gonna work for a time. Could you take one of those salaries and set that aside to pay off all of the debt and live off one income instead of two? Some of you are gonna have salaries that's a significant increase from where you are right now, which is not hard to do, right? Significant increase from where you are right now. Could you say for the first five years, I'm not gonna expand to, that, to, to have all of that money eaten up. I'm gonna pay off all the debt. I'm gonna make sure I have margin in my, in my finances so that I can give and be generous to others so that when a need arises, that it's there. I can just say, here, I'm not required to have it to live my life. Now, some of you, I understand you're going into jobs and they're gonna be low-paying jobs and you're gonna be stressed just to make ends meet. I get it, I understand it. But if we're gonna be rich towards God, I wanna say to you, I think we need to leave some margin in our life. The things are not gonna make you happy. The possessions of this world, they're not gonna last. You're not gonna miss the things when it comes time to death that you didn't buy, the money you didn't spend. Those relationships, helping other people, advancing the gospel, sharing the gospel with somebody, contributing to others, all of those things that we do that have eternally significant value, those are the things that we're gonna wish we did more of. So just out of a concern for all of you, out of out of knowing how my heart is and that there are times I look at the things that glitter of this world and I think, boy, wouldn't that be nice? Guard your heart against greed. Be cautious 
how you expand to become comfortable with the things of this world so that you can pay off debt, so that you can give with graciousness to those who need it to advance the purposes of God's kingdom. What's our main idea today? Guard against all covetousness. Guard against greed. It's a daily fight. It's one you will encounter in your life. If you wanna live like the wise person, guard against greed. Dear Lord, we all struggle from time to time with looking at the things of this world and thinking we have to have them. We all struggle with the thoughts of wanting nice things. So God, would you help us to guard against greed and would you help us to be wise and recognize it when it rears its head? When we begin to sense that covetousness, that greed in our own heart, would we be quick to turn to you, to lean on you, to rely on you, to sing our praises to you, to recognize that you are the only one that we should trust. Lord, may we live a life that glorifies you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.